Finance. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Financial Independence Podcast, the podcast where I get inside the brains of some of the best and brightest in the personal finance space to find out how they achieve financial independence. On today's show, I'm excited to introduce Christy and Bryce from MillennialRevolution.com. Christy and Bryce are Canadian, and they took the world by storm when they uh, challenged the cult of home ownership, uh, especially in Toronto. It's a big deal up there, and everybody seems to be buying houses, and the prices are going crazy. Um, but rather than do that, uh, they used their savings instead to retire. So now they're retired in their early 30s, and they're traveling the world. And that would not have been possible had they just done what everyone else uh, seems to do in Toronto, and that is, you know, sink all their money into a house and then spend the rest of their lives working to pay that off. So I'm looking forward to diving into their story. So without further delay, Christine Bryce, thanks a lot for being here. I appreciate it. Glad to be here. So, Christy, you're firecracker. Bryce, you're wanderer. Um, just want to put link those two up so people from your blog know who's talking. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's us. Good. So where are you guys at? Okay, so right now we're in Chiang Mai, Thailand. Um, and we're staying in Thailand for the next two months, so chilling out um, in in Chiang Mai, and then heading out to check out the beaches. Nice. Where? What beaches? Uh, so Koh Lanta um, has actually been our favorite because it's more like low key and type of um, the beaches that's like not too crowded. So that's that's the main one that we're going to be checking out. And after that, you know, like uh, bouncing around Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, like just kind of. Wherever the wind takes us, that's where we go. That's that's basically where life is like now. And uh, I got to say, it's pretty awesome. That's awesome. So how long have you been on the road? Uh, so about a year now. Um, after we quit our jobs back in 2015, we've just kind of been traveling um, around the world. And then every now and then we'll just go home and visit our family. But mostly it's been bouncing around countries. We started off in um, the States. Then we headed off to the UK, uh, bounced around in Europe. And then um, came to South, Southeast Asia. Okay. Yeah, there's this misnomer that uh, when you start traveling, you kind of get out of your system, and then, and, and then, um, and then you kind of say, "Okay, now I'm done. I guess I'm ready to settle down." And I'm sure you can attest to that. That does not happen. Like once you start, you just can't stop moving, right? <laughs> That's awesome. So you guys have no. There's no end in sight to the traveling. You guys are just planning on bouncing around for the foreseeable future. Yeah, as far as we're concerned, that's pretty awesome right now, life right now. So continue that trip because what we actually found when we started doing that i mean like it was originally supposed to be a let's just let's travel for a year because we never did that um and because we're 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 retired now why not uh but then what we found was that when we came back from our first year-long kind of thing we looked at our expenditures and then we found that traveling around the world actually costs about the same as staying in one place in north america life is actually very very expensive in north america we're from we're from canada but uh, people from the states can also um, attest to that. That there, when you when you go out and you live like local in all these other kind of countries, especially when you average down countries in like in Eastern Europe, like in Southeast Asia, you'll find that the cost of living is way lower out there than when you're just staying still. So then you start asking the question: I could travel around for the same price as staying in one place. Why would I stay in one place? Right. No, that's a, that's a great point, and especially if you're still earning some sort of income or a little, you know, residual income from some old side project or something and you're earning money in dollars and you're not having to pay taxes because you're not in the States, you can, you know, or Canada, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you have something similar where you don't, well, you don't, you, you, Canada doesn't tax citizens who live abroad like the States does. So you don't have to worry about that, right? 
Right, right. I mean, like we were um, before we left, we published a children's book, so our publisher is is earning, uh, you know, American dollars and you know a small amount of American dollars. But then when you change that into you know Vietnamese dong, you just end up living like a king because it's like, wow, this is like you know so much money here in yeah. Southeast Asia. Oh, it's fantastic. So yeah, give give people an idea of how much you're spending in Chiang Mai because it's uh, that's one of the cheapest places and it's uh, it's a fantastic place to live. So yeah, how much are you paying in rent and food and things? Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, this um, condo that we're staying in right now, uh, it's basically got like a swimming pool and it's like pretty modern. And uh, we're only paying around $19.50 a day. And you would never be able to find something like that with a pool back in North America. Um, The weather is amazing. We don't have to worry about seeing a snowflake, which is something that we did not like when we were in Canada. Um, and the food is ridiculous. Every time we go out to eat, it's like a dollar, two dollars. We never had a meal for more than that cost more than five dollars Canadian, and like it's, it's just ridiculously cheap. And again, this, this is all Canadian dollars. So when you translate that to U.S., it's even lower. It's even <laughs> it's lower like compared to <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So all right, so let's take a step back. We uh, we're getting ahead of ourselves with all this traveling. Tell a little bit about your background and your story. Okay, so um, so how we started this whole journey was um, back in 2012, we were actually trying to buy a house. So in Toronto, I don't know if you know, but in Toronto, the housing market has been pretty crazy for the last decade. Um, so in 2012, uh, at that time, we had been married for two years, and we were thinking, okay, the housing market is is crazy. It's really expensive. Um, we have to save like a ridiculous amount of money to put a down payment because it's going to be very competitive. And at that point we had saved up half a million dollars because we, we have been working like crazy and, and saving because we knew that, um, we needed as big of a cash cushion as possible to get into the market. And it was around this time that we started to realize, um, as, as we looked at the different houses, different options that, uh, there's actually a lot of people trying to flip houses for money. Like just, we, we saw this dilapidated house on our street that was, um, basically fixed up in less than a month. They did a a very, they did not put any effort into making it, uh, last. They just basically wanted to look, uh, you know, look nice and then sell it as soon as possible. So, uh, it was a dilapidated house that the builder bought for 500,000, flipped it in less than a month and then sold it for 800,000. And when we went to the open house, we saw that the floorboards weren't even, and then they just did a very rushed paint job. We knew that it was not going to withstand the test of time for sure. Um, and then it had like eight bids and got into a bidding war and sold very quickly. So at that point, we started to realize this is kind of a scam. Like I don't, I don't want to be in this housing market. Everything, everyone's just going crazy and losing their mind, and they're not even looking at whether it makes sense to get into the market. They just want to rush right in. So then it was around this time that we thought maybe we can go a different way. Like maybe we don't need to be um, struggling and being stressed at our jobs and just paying off a mortgage. Maybe there's something else we can do. So it was around this time that we discovered Money Mustache and uh, JL Collins, and we decided, hmm. Financial independence, that sounds really interesting. That might be a different path that we'd be able to take. And at the time, that I, I was really stressed at my job, and there were like rumors of layoffs as well. Um, so, I, so we thought, maybe, let's try this. Let's try, let's try questioning the status quo, not buying a house, and instead saving towards financial independence. So that's what we did. So from 2012, um, we started investing and then grew our nest egg from that point on until 2015, 
uh, we actually ended up growing our portfolio to a million dollars. And then at that time, we decided, hey, this actually the passive income generated from the portfolio using the 4% rule is actually enough for us to retire. So let's just do that instead. So then that's when we started traveling around the world. And then we're basically here we are. And uh, it's been awesome. So you totally do not regret buying not buying a house. And I think we attribute that to our success a lot because we didn't have to pay for all those expenses that our poor friends had to go through with property taxes and maintenance and all those headaches that a lot of people who don't realize they have until they actually get into the um, headache of home ownership. That's awesome. So that's uh, basically the journey in a nutshell. <laughs> that's fantastic. And and that dilapidated house you you mentioned, that's the one where uh, the crazy guy was living there and he was digging oh, six foot God. deep holes all around the property. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah that was, that, that was wow. it. People have, people have, uh, have panic, panicky emailed us and said, what was the address? What, oh yeah, my God, I just bought a house. There. Yeah, please tell us the neighborhood. I don't, I don't want to have bought that house. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I, don't, I, don't want, I don't want you to start digging because I don't want you to find like a skull and like freak out. So um, yeah, it's it was, better that you not know. Yeah, that, that house was just really creepy. It's like just you walk by and you're like, why is there holes all over the backyard? I was, what is going on? Like, I don't want to look. I really don't want to look. Let's just walk by really fast and pretend we didn't see anything. The guy was 100% a serial killer. I'm like, calling it now serial killer. <laughs> um, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So somebody paid $800,000 to, to inherit all of those problems, which is, yeah, absolutely crazy. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah and that was, happening, that was happening all over the city. And when we kind of throw out those numbers, our friends from New York say, oh, that's adorable. Like, so, like, so even our kind of crazy housing market is, is still happening like all, all over the place. And the, sa- the same struggles can be uh, heard from all these people that are just so frustrated because they have this idea that you have to buy a house because you're an adult now. And if you don't, you're some kind of weirdo or some kind of loser. And it's it's um, that's the reason why most people don't actually ever accumulate any money. They buy into that idea and then they start they say, oh, I'm so smart, I'm saving money on rent. But then they don't realize that all the other costs start adding up and you have to end up paying maintenance and you have to end up paying property taxes. And then, and then, and, and all, and then when you sell, you still have to pay 5% of commission just to, just to sell the damn thing. So you end up, so they wind up into these situations where these, they pay off this mortgage for decades and then at the end they come out and they're like, why don't I have any money? I don't get it. I thought I made the right decision. Right. And no. that's the reason. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. I, I completely agree. We've owned two houses in our lives, and luckily we did not buy in high cost of living areas like Toronto or New York or anything. So it wasn't it wasn't crazy to to buy the places. But yeah, the 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 costs associated are just insane. Um, the five percent or six percent in the states, at least to where we were um, to sell it, was just nuts. Um, it's it's a whole racket um, in Scotland. It is like, it's a racket. Yeah, our, our first house in Scotland. Um, when we were selling that, I actually sold it myself because I was like, this is crazy. Why am I paying someone <laughs> over there? It's only one and a half percent. So I was like, I'm not paying somebody one and a half percent to sell what? my house. <laughs> I'm like, that's insane. <laughs> so I sold it. I created this whole website and everything and sold it myself. Um, and then I got to the States and it was like five or 6%. I'm like, that's nuts. Absolutely crazy. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. So no, but good for you for being able to sell it yourself. Yeah. Huh. Thanks. That was it. Almost backfired because it was right before the financial crisis. It was like 2007. Oh wow! And we well, uh, got out of that just in time. Yeah. Wow. No kidding. So we uh, we only had like three three viewings, um, and luckily the third one bought it, and then the whole world collapsed. So it was uh, it was. Oh real, my god! Yeah, it, it almost wow. completely backfired just to save one and a half percent, but uh, it was it was worth <laughs> it, I guess, at the end. But um, so you guys have. Definitely 
um, challenge the cult of home ownership more than a lot of people because you've uh, your video, as you just told me beforehand, uh, went viral. And what did you say? <laughs> 4.5 million views. Yeah. And your article talking about all this stuff um, is the most shared and the most viewed uh, CBC article. Is that right? Yes, yeah, it is. Canada. Yeah, people cannot believe that we're we're saying don't buy a house, right? Because it's it's like you're you're it's almost like you're saying something sacrilegious. It's like what? What do you mean? I can't not buy a house. That's what everyone does. So yeah, right. we're not surprised. So <laughs> when, has so there been a big backlash? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> when you say something like this, uh, you question every decision that everyone's that people have made for the past, you know, like five, ten years, where they did this like five, ten years ago, and you're kind of saying. Uh, like the people that like we did, we sat down and we did the math and people around us said, oh, you, you know, uh, you're not going to buy a house. You're going to be sorry. Mine's going to go up to one million, two million, three million. You're, and you're going to be sitting there with nothing. And then now we and, and, and then now not only did that not happen, uh, they are stuck with that. Like they are stuck with these houses that that are sucking them dry. We have we are traveling the world and having a blast. And it just it just kind of. It's it's almost like a it's that people interpret it as an attack on themselves. Like people get really really wrapped up in their identity when they're a homeowner. So when you attack the house, even if you're doing it as a you know the numbers, like when you attack just the numbers of it, it feels almost like they're attacking themselves. So yeah, the the backlash has a lot, been a lot more intense, I think, than a lot of the other um, financial independence bloggers have yeah, had I, in the past. I believe that it's it's more of a emotional decision than a practical one. And I think we've been pretty fair, like when we do the numbers, we've been saying, like, I like to say, like, you know, math this shit up, because you got to do the math, you can't just base decisions based on emotion. But a lot of the times, even when we do the math, people just kind of justify it by saying, yeah, well, the math doesn't work. But you know, I'm doing it as a lifestyle decision. It's not it doesn't have to do with math, right. But then I'm like, well, yeah, you can do that, but if you're not um, later on when you run into financial problems, then you know that you made the decision emotionally, not based on math, right? So you have to understand that risk. So I, I think a lot of people, the reason why we're getting so much backlash is because it's an emotional decision and not based on math. It's based on feelings. Yeah, it's a lifestyle decision. Is just code word for I didn't do the math and I just bought it anyway. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And. It- there's so many different arguments against it and um i'm sure you've been giving lots of them and it have you felt that you've convinced anyone or is it is it just like you know politics like you it doesn't matter what the what your candidate does because you're voting for them anyway (laughs) (laughs) well actually um surprisingly actually when we sat down to do the math and we actually broke down an article of would have been richer if we had bought a house and we did all the math um people actually came to our site including real estate agents and they actually looked at the numbers and they said yeah that's actually pretty reasonable like that is how much it would cost for ownership and then it it actually made people go back and rethink their math because a lot of the times people just say this is how much i bought the house for this is how much i sold it for and this is how much money i made disregarding completely all the ownership costs right so people it actually did um encourage people to do the math so we thought that that was uh, a very positive thing that came out of that whole calculation um and then one of the things that that we made people question because they kept saying like leverage leverage you can use leverage to make money this is all about leverage and then we actually did the math for that they were like this is very depressing. <laughs> like I'm going to go do the math, but this is like, this is like really eye opening and depressing. Just to and summarize then, the article a little bit. What, yeah. what we did was we kind of, uh, we kind of said, okay, so between 2012 and 2015, we took an average house and it made $150,000. So, so it went from 500 to 750. Yay. Everybody wins. Um, 
But then when you actually take into account all of the uh, transaction costs and the property taxes and the maintenance and, 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 you know, a whole lot and all the mortgage, uh, in, the mortgage insurance you have to pay and the mortgage interest itself and all this kind of stuff. We found that for the hypothetical person who bought it at, in 2012, sold in 2015 when the capital value of their house went up $150,000, 95% of the profits got taken away by those costs. They only got to keep a tiny little fraction of it. Wow. But, but they think that I'm a genius. I made $150,000. That's what, no. that's why housing is so dangerous. Made it makes you think that you are winning. Well, in reality, everybody else is winning. The bank, the real estate agent, the contractor who you had to pay like, like $10,000 for to like stage the place or whatever. They all made out like bandits. So it's true that housing does make people money. Just not you. <laughs> right. That's all. What is the name of that article? And I can link to it in the show notes. That sounds fantastic. Sure. Uh, I, I think it's a uh, leverage. Is it your friend or your enemy? But I can send you the link uh, cool. offline. Awesome. I'll put that in the show notes. That sounds like a great article. Um, so yeah, if you're not... Then, people, sorry. Go oh, no, no. Good. You, you got And then uh, just what Christy was saying, people came on and tried to attack it. And some of them, and then, uh, some of them were real estate agents. And then they kind of said... And they looked at all the line items and said, okay, that's true. That's true. That's true. Uh-oh. And, yeah. and the real estate agent was like, I have to, said, I have to go home and rethink my life a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Because like one, one of the questions we asked for that, for that article was like, okay, if you're making so much, if it's such a lucrative investment, the bank has lots of money. Why don't they buy the house? They have enough money to buy the houses. Why do they want to lend you money so you can buy the house? And in case if the house goes up or goes down, then they get their money regardless, right? You have to take a haircut. If the it's so lucrative, why doesn't the bank buy it? Right. And they're like, yeah, that's true. Why doesn't the bank buy it? Houses always go up. Okay, then why don't you buy it? Well, I don't want to. Well, then, well, then you're lying to me. Yeah. It's, it's a scam. It really is. It's a scam. It's a total scam. Yeah, definitely. And and. And once you buy into that, it's like, well, you're always going to have your money locked up in a house because you're not going to just make your fortune and then start renting. Because if if you actually do make a fortune, then you're going to be like, well, buying's the best thing. And then you're just going to sink it into yeah. a bigger house, more expensive house. And your money, if you do make any, is just going to be locked up in that asset for your entire life. And you're never going to benefit from it, really. That's the fascinating thing, isn't it? Because more than any other asset, it uh, it is it, it is tied to your sense of identity. Um, and once it is tied to your sense of identity, you can't get rid of it because then you're getting rid of part of your identity. I mean, if you're an index investor like us, we, we, we don't go, Oh, you know, this, um, VT, VT Sachs ETF. That's VT Sachs is my identity. I can never, I can never, <laughs> yeah. part don't ever attack because my I am VT Sachs. Because like, that doesn't make any sense because you just, it's like, um, yeah. but it makes people go crazy. As you know, if you're making investing decisions based off of like, I, if you, if you're buying something and saying I can never sell this in the future, you're not investing. You're just throwing money at something to make yourself feel better. Right. Yeah, you know? yeah absolutely. I completely agree. Um, and then the, and then the whole argument of renting and you're throwing money away, it is just insane to me. It's like you're getting shelter for that money. That's a, that's a valuable train, you know, trade of uh, dollars for something, you know, it's like, you're not throwing money away. You're you're buying something very important, and, um, and it's just costing you less than if you were earning. Which, um, yeah, I I'm so happy to be renting again. We've been renting for the the last year and a bit, and we're renting furnished places now, which is even better. It's like we have nothing that we own. Um, how, oh, have you guys been I loving just, it? Yeah, we, we we love it as well. Like that's why we wrote the article on. Uh, we did a guest post on uh, Jim Collins' blog, which is uh, 
buy your freedom and rent the rest because it, it really is awesome to be renting. Like when we when we um, lived in Toronto, we also rented cars from AutoShare instead of actually owning a car because anytime anything breaks, like you don't have to worry about it. And then this one time, this crazy white man, I hate white mans. They're like my arch nemesis, seriously, <laughs> the worst. Um, this white man came in, like swerved on, like went on the other side of the, the street and then hit us. Um, and it was like everybody, all the witnesses said, okay, that van was driving dangerously. It's completely their fault. Um, the, you know, they told the police and everything. And then the insurance company still ruled it 50-50. But luckily, because it was a uh, rental, we didn't have to pay anything. It was just covered as part of the um, insurance policy, as part of the uh, auto share agreement. So yeah, we were just like, okay. So we just got another car the next day. We weren't out any money at all. Right. So renting and that kind of just houses the things. Renting, renting everything really does take away the stress. Like you said, like if you're renting uh, a place with furniture right now, it's like, okay, if anything breaks, just the landlord's problem, not your problem at all. Yeah, I mean, so many readers write into us and just kind of saying, I'm trying to get ahead, but it just seems like every month there's an emergency, a pipe burst or my car tire blows or, you know, something about a muffler. I don't even know what a muffler is, but like <laughs> something goes wrong and then it just ends up costing me a lot of money. And then you kind of have to think if every month there is a once in a blue moon emergency, that's not normal. Yeah. Right? How do you save for retirement if you're constantly like having costs that you can't predict just popping out of nowhere? Yeah, I completely agree. Renting has just been amazing. Like you can, you can rent exactly what you need at that moment and you're not, you know, buying this house that has three bedrooms because you think you may have kids in 10 years and you know <laughs> uh, a big minivan because you may have those kids and all this all these crazy things that are costing more money just because one day you may need them you just rent exactly what you need at the time and uh and yeah it's fantastic I, I, and it's easier than ever now with all of these you know startups coming up that let you rent other people's houses, rent other people's cars, rent, you know, everything. It's, it's just amazing. Life is far simpler than what most people think it is, isn't it? Like, oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, like people, think, people think life is so difficult because they're constantly working hard, running this treadmill, paddling, and they don't realize that they've kind of added all of this baggage onto themselves without realizing it. And uh, completely optionally, like a completely self-inflicted wound, then when they... Then when you take all those things off and you realize how far you can go, life becomes a lot, so much easier. And it's just, it's just eye-opening. And you just want to tell people, you don't have to do all that stuff that you think you have to do. And that's what makes people so stressed out and, and, and like freaking out over where the next paycheck is going to come from. But it's all self-inflicted. Yeah, definitely. And, and the, the Buy Your Freedom, Rent the Rest article that you mentioned, that's, that's how we actually got talking. I left my first blog right. comment in probably like four years when you posted that on Jim's <laughs> site because um, yeah. I felt so strongly about it. So I'll definitely link to that article as well because it's, it's really, it's great. Um, and yeah, the, the, actually the example I gave in that comment was that when we were in Mexico, like we wanted a pool for the week. And so we just rented an Airbnb with a, or v, a VRBO with a pool. And then my buddy came down to visit us. So we needed an extra bedroom. So then we just moved to another place that had two bedrooms and it, uh, yeah, and then awesome. we moved back to the pool place. And it's like, you can't do that with, uh, with, if you bought something, you know, you oh. just, you know, renting allows you to get exactly what you want when you need it. And that's just, uh, that's awesome. And yeah, I don't think I'll, I don't think I'll ever go back. Um, it's just been fantastic. So, um, yeah. but back to you guys, let's, uh, let's sort of dive into what you do invest in then. So if you don't invest in real estate, where, where's all your money parked? 
Yeah, so um, so we structured our investments into a 60-40 portfolio. So a 60 equities, 40 bonds. Um, so what we've done is um, because we're now in retirement, we need to actually rely on the income for uh, our expenses. So from that portfolio, we generate 3.5% uh, approximately of dividend income. So a lot of people have been asking us like, oh no, Trump has been elected. What happens if your portfolio gets decimated? Like, have you thought about that? And it's like, yes, we have. Um, so one of the things we, we can do is live off of that dividend income without having, having to ever sell anything um, and then use rebalancing to come out of it. And um, so using the 60-40 portfolio and using the strategy of indexing um, using low cost ETFs and then rebalance, rebalancing uh, periodically has actually helped us survive 2008. Like back then, we, we were actually investing back in 2008 before we decided to buy the house. And this current strategy is actually the strategy that allowed us to survive without losing any money at all. So it's, it's a, a tried and tested uh, method. And uh, we're definitely going to stick to it. And that's why the Trump presidency hasn't really scared us at all. Because we're like, we know we, we survived worse. So yeah, it's going to be fine. That's awesome. And it wasn't all smooth sailing, though. You, uh, you did sell all your stocks in 2009. Is that right? If you, can you tell that yeah, story? That was, that was okay. That was a really stupid mistake. <laughs> well, yeah, but it wasn't. It wasn't actually because we were just kind of like, okay, now we're scared. Back in, you know, uh, by the when we sold it, we had gone back to break even. So we were like, oh, geez, okay, you know, thank God for index investing. Um, so now we know that yeah. it works. But and then the we're like, let's go buy a house. <laughs> no, at the time we were getting, we had decided to get married, and for yeah. independent, like we hadn't, we, we were just investing for the sake of investing back then. We weren't investing for this for financial independence and early retirement back then because we hadn't even heard of it. Well, at that time in 2009 or 2010 or thereabouts, we we were getting married and then we figured we, we would need yeah, all this money. Yeah, we probably in, in the future we would need, you know, to have more money in the cash in cash in order to go out and buy out, that house. Yeah, like, you know, settle down and do all that then stuff. Then we realized what we actually wanted to do. We then went right back into the same portfolio that we had before because we knew it worked. Nice. So how, how long did you end up being out for? Uh, until 2000, I think 2010 to 2012. That's how long it took for us to, to discover MMM and like you and like these other guys that, that, uh, that had done all these amazing things and we were like, wow, can we do it too? And apparently the answer was yes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so it obviously didn't hurt you too bad because now you guys are just hanging out in Chiang Mai and enjoying life. So, um, but yeah, that, uh, that was a funny story when I read it. Um, yeah, that was, <laughs> that's, if that's your biggest mistake, as you said in that article, then, you know, that's not so bad. Yeah, not too bad. Not yeah, too champagne, bad. Problems. champagne problems. <laughs> right, exactly. And at least you did, like you said, you didn't do it for fear or something. It was a it was a calculated move. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so that's been going well. And and you guys actually have a financial advisor, which is quite rare in in the fire space. I would say, as far as bloggers having you know doing it all themselves, but you've had good experiences. Is that right? Yeah, and that's been uh, that has been. Um, so yeah, that has been a very positive experience. The guy that we, the, our, our financial advisor, is actually another blogger named uh, Garth Turner, who wrote the blog Greater Fool, who then uh, who who told us, uh, taught us about all this kind of like a lot of bit, a lot of all the stuff as well as how dangerous housing is. So he was one of the big like anti-housing kind of bears in Canada, and then we got to um, we got to talking with him, and then together we kind of figured out the mechanics and the actual like nitty-gritty details of actually how to build this portfolio and how to actually structure it because a lot of the finance bloggers out there they just kind of go 100% equity and then just go yeehaw uh, so we wanted to be to be a little bit more we wanted it to be a little bit more conservative so we needed some help doing that but it's been a pretty great experience and uh, yeah we highly recommend it 
and him. Yeah, that's cool. I, I can link to him as well. You said Greater Fool. Yeah, GreaterFool.ca. GreaterFool.ca. Cool. So obviously, you interact with a lot of U.S. bloggers and people. I'm sure. Um, are there any major differences between reaching Phi in Canada as opposed to the U.S.? I think that the biggest difference is healthcare, which is far more complicated in the U.S. than it is in Canada. In Canada, it's just kind of like, yeah, you're done. If you ever need to get, if you ever get sick, yeah, you fly back to Canada and you're just good to go. And in the U.S., until you know, until recently, people weren't, um, people would be scared and then coming and uh, you know, they didn't want to leave their work because they were scared of losing their insurance and. Then Obamacare came around, and then that was the way that um, we were trying to tell people, no, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay, and then Trump happened. So <laughs> that, we're, we're still not sure what's going to happen with that. Actually, it's I, I just based on my conversation with the rest of the FI community, everyone's still trying to figure out what the bloody hell to make of that, especially on the Obamacare stuff. So that has the potential of blowing up a lot of math, and that is something to be concerned about. Um, so we, once once an answer kind of clears up, we're all going to figure out what the – like. We're going to write about it and figure out what the right thing to do is. But right now, we actually don't know yet, which is unusual. In Canada, when uh, in Canada, it's just it's just a it's just easy. But in the states, it's it's far more complicated. Yeah, no, I, uh, I'm back in the UK now as as a full time resident. Um, well, once we get back from this trip, and it's just oh, okay, so nice good. having the NHS there to back you up, and it just feels just such a different feel to everything. Like you go to the doctor and. It just feels like they want to help you and make you better. And it doesn't matter if you have to get, you know, sent to a specialist or two specialists or whatever. It's just like they just want to make you feel better and help you get well. And you go to the pharmacy and they just give you free drugs. And it's just it's just amazing. I, I absolutely love it. So um, do you feel the same about your socialized medicine in Canada? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and uh, I and uh, some a strange thing that I've kind of noticed is that a lot of the uh, financial independence people have like kind of um, like a dual citizenship, or they grew up in another country. So I know that Mr. Money Mustache is Canadian, I believe. You 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 have ties to the UK. We're Canadian. Um, uh, Jeremy and Winnie from Go Curry Cracker, she's Taiwanese, so they're right now in they're right now in China right now, and it's socialized there. So I think part of that is. The optimism that comes from the people who really make it and in, 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 and become early retirees comes from the fact. Part of it comes from the fact that they they have this idea that they're not scared of of healthcare issues coming up and blowing up their 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 life. Uh, but people who actually were born, raised, and grew up in America, they that that's always part of their calculations, and that scares them, and as, for a good reason, right? So I think that's uh, an odd thing that I've noticed about a lot of us. Well, on on one plus side, what well, from traveling, we've noticed that there are other countries that actually have very very low cost and very high quality um, healthcare compared to the states. Like in, I think um, Thailand is one of the highly rated um, places for medical tourism, where a lot of people come here and get treatment, and it's like very fast, very high quality. A lot of the doctors and dentists have actually been trained in Boston and other places in the states. And just like seeing the doctor is like twelve dollars or something ridiculously cheap, and uh, that's another option that reti- early retirees have found that they can move abroad and uh, get very cheap health healthcare that way. So that's that's something we discovered as well, um, aligning with the idea that North America is very overpriced, and there's many other options abroad that you can tap into. Yeah, there were some early retirees that we met in uh, in I think it was Atlanta actually, who found it actually cheaper 
to exit the U.S. and then get their health care through travel insurance, which is counterintuitive when you think about it, right? It's like, really? Okay. Uh, but it's it's because the healthcare system in the U.S. is so, let's say, yeah. complicated. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, yeah. Do you guys have uh, some travel insurance for when you're outside, or are you just self-insuring? We have travel insurance, sure. Yep, and um, it's you know it's it's not that expensive. It's like fifteen hundred bucks for like a year for the two of us, and it covers the entire worldwide, um, like any any kind of travel um, medical emergency kind of worldwide. And I don't I don't know if what the cost is if you were to self-insure in the states, but I suspect it's higher than that. Yeah, definitely. No, I. Uh... We're currently on like a three month trip and we got three month insurance for the two of us for like, I think something like 230 pounds or something like that. It was, yeah. yeah. And it covers the US. So it's like we're completely covered now in the States, but we're paying a fraction of what most people pay per month just to have insurance in their home country, um, which is crazy. So, yeah, no, I, I com- yeah, um, yeah, completely, completely agree that, yeah, if you're willing to travel, and that's the beautiful thing about, you know, early retirement, you know, people are young and able and willing to do things like that. And that's a, that's a great way to, to handle that equation, at least for the early years is to, yeah, just go and travel other places and get cheap travel insurance rather than crazy American (laughs) style insurance, which is. Yeah. Again, it's the uh, thing that we discovered, which is life is like, life is so much simpler and cheaper outside of North America. They're, like we're the most expensive country, one of the most expensive countries to live in. It's a great country to make your money and work, but it's a it's uh it's far easier to to, to retire outside of it because the costs are so inflated. Absolutely. So you, you mentioned that you you wrote children's books. So can you talk a little bit more about that and also you know what you would have what's been keeping you occupied ever since leaving your jobs? Yeah, sure. Um, so the writing the children's book, the funny thing is I had this like, I had this crazy idea back in 2008 because I was reading like Twilight <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, she made how much money from writing this book? <laughs> and then I read it and I was like, okay, it's not like, it, I mean, it's, it's fine, but it's not like JK Rowling level. So I'm like, hmm, I could probably do this too. So I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, accomplish my dreams of being a, a writer uh, like, you know, outside my day job of being an engineer. Like I'm totally going to do this. This is going to be really easy. And it was totally the opposite of what I, what I thought. Like I have so much respect for authors now because we just, it was just like five years of like just being stuck in the writing trenches, just rejection after rejection, after rejection, after rejection. And uh, it actually made me very grateful that I decided to choose the engineering like STEM path and then kind of follow my dreams on the side rather than rely on that for my income, because there's just so many writers out there and so few like writing jobs and like it's so hard to make it in the publishing industry that I was really really glad for that experience because it really humbled me and it taught me a lot about writing uh but man am I glad I decided to go the stem route in terms of the salary and then just do that on the side um but uh happily we we did get through it and we did get through all the rejections we we wrote um about three novels together and uh, two of them got completely thrown out and it was the third one that got published by Scholastic, which actually happens to be the biggest children's publisher in the world. Oh, and it took us. About, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, it took us about five years to get here. But um, that's that's one of my passions. And now that we've been able to retire and become FI, um, I can actually do that full time now without having to worry about oh, where's the money, where's the money going to come from? And I, can I actually pursue this? Because um, financially, it doesn't make sense. But now we just, can just do that. 
um, and actually really enjoy it. So that's it's, fantastic. It's awesome so, so you're, you're writing another one then? Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, we're writing uh, the, the series of that book. We've also started the blog, and that seems to have people have been really, really receptive to that. So, like, the, the whole dream of being, like, a writer professionally, it ended up actually becoming true, strangely enough, after after we left our jobs. Like, we're now writing, like, pretty much every day, uh, writing articles for the blog, writing writing in the in the fiction route, on the fiction route and the nonfiction route. So it's been, uh, it's been pretty crazy. I mean, like, um, the reaction and the... Like when we came out with that story, with our story, it kind of blew up like in Canada and it also kind of went into the States pretty, pretty strongly as well. I mean, like we were in uh, Business Insider and Yahoo Finance and all the same kind of places as well. People really, really want to hear about this whole financial independence thing because I think it really addresses a big problem that people didn't know that they had, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's fantastic. That's so good. Um and we didn't. We actually didn't talk about this. But what did you both do before uh, you retired? You retired. Yeah. So we're uh, we're both computer engineers, and we actually went to the same university. We were like lab partners. Yeah. <laughs> it was like very very nerdy love. Yeah. So <laughs> software software development. You're a software developer too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of us. In also, this. another strange thing that, yeah, that we, seems yeah, to be happening a lot. And, like a everybody's lot of, uh, like, there's a lot of people lot that are engineers, engineers yeah. that uh, that ended up doing this early retirement thing. Very fascinating. I'm not sure why. Like MMM is an engineer. His wife's an engineer. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy. Jeremy is, is an engineer. Jeremy is. Uh, Jeremy's, uh, Jeremy's an engineer. I think Justin, also an engineer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just it's just really funny that 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 just happens to be a pattern. Yeah, I think MMM did a post <laughs> on his site a while ago, many years ago, and he polled his readers, and I think it was like some crazy percentage of like over sixty percent were some yeah, sort of. I, I, remember, I, remember so, I think it's because we get turned on by spreadsheets. And yeah, we I like optimizing the crap out of everything. Oh yeah, it's and definitely optimization. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And it's a natural part of our uh, of our thought process, and uh, you put dollar in, dollar in front of it instead of like milliamps, and then it's the same. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so you guys are still coding, right? But you're doing it for nonprofits. Is that right? Yeah. So that's one of the rewarding things we've been doing as well. We've been able to like give back to the community. Um, we met uh, a group of writers through a writing who is um, trying. They they started a nonprofit to promote more diversity in children's literature. So we're actually working with them to develop an app um, to help people find more diverse books. So that's one of the the passion projects that we've been working on. And then um, as a result of that. Uh, because we can have this writing skill and the coding skill and it's very portable, we can actually do that anywhere in the world. Just, just need a laptop and a um, internet connection. So that's, that's fit. That actually fits really well with our lifestyle currently. That's yeah. Cool. Any other, uh, any other big projects that you're working on at the moment? Uh, it sounds like that would keep you plenty busy, all of that stuff, especially with all the traveling and everything. Well, I mean, like the biggest part is the blog. I mean, right now we're we're kind of experimenting with what we want to do with the thing, um, and right now we're running this um, this thing we call the investment workshop, where there's so many people that have talked to us and says, "I don't know where to, I, I get. I like the idea of index investing. I don't know where to start. I'm scared. I don't even know where to sign up and this kind of stuff." So we we started doing this as an experiment and just kind of says, "Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pretend." that we are building our portfolio from scratch, real money. We're going to use in the real stock market. We're going to show every single move that we do. And we're going to show screenshots. You can follow along and you can learn and you, like, you can follow along and, do, and mirror our steps if you want to. And we're going to tell you every decision and we're going to, uh, that we make along the way, why we're doing it and how we're actually implementing it. And you can see the results. Um, that People have been really receptive to that. Uh, I don't think anyone's done it before. And it's all for free because 
we want anybody to be able to participate and learn how all this stuff works. Because you know what? If you walk into a bank and you say, how do I invest? They just shove you into the worst high fee paying mutual fund at all. I mean, like, there's a lot of people out there that want to learn this stuff, but they don't know who to trust because the entire finance industry is geared to helping you make the wrong decision for you and the best decision for them. So, and, and that was that was something that really frustrated us. So we're, we're trying to do something about that now. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. I'll put a link to the investing workshop in the show notes. It's, uh, it's really good. I read through all the articles that you have so far and it, it looks fantastic. And that's such a good idea. So I'm, I, it's no, oh, thank you. no that, surprise that, means, that people are into it. Yeah, that means a lot coming from you, man. Oh, thanks. Yeah, no, it's, it's great. So I'll, I'll link to that in the show notes. Um, so yeah, I don't want to keep you guys too long. I know it's, well, I guess what it's at nine PM in in Thailand right now. Yep, it's around that time. So there's yeah, at least I, there's time for at least one more pad thai. Yeah, yeah pad thai, yeah, maybe yeah. a foot massage. Oh my god, the massages here are like ridiculously good, and like it's like ten dollars. It's just ridiculous. I'm like, wow. I know it's so yeah. good. Yeah, up in the <laughs> up in the northeast corner of the old town is where we found the cheapest ones. I think it was like two hundred baht for an hour or something or a half hour. And I can't remember, but it was, it was super cheap and yeah, fantastic. Uh, so yeah, so I don't want to keep you too long, but, um, I usually end all of my interviews with, um, asking, you know, if you had one piece of advice for someone who wants to pursue financial independence, what would it be? I would say, um, question the status quo. Don't just do what everybody else is doing. Cause that's what we were doing. We were just heading in that direction. Everybody's buying a house. I know it's expensive in Toronto. I have to buy a house because that's what everybody does. And there's no other way to live your life. And when we started questioning it, then we started thinking, maybe we don't have to do this. Like, why, why do we have to do what everyone else is doing? And maybe we'll regret it, but let's try. Let's try something different. And that's actually completely made a huge difference. Like that, that completely changed our lives. Like now I actually get to, um, you know, do work for nonprofits. I get to do passion projects. I get to interact with people on the blog. And it really is life changing to, to question the status quo. Like, like Steve Jobs says, like everything that you know around you is made up by people that are not smarter than you or not. He's like absolutely right about that. You, you have to question. That's fantastic advice. Have- Bryce, would you, uh, do you have something else or would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I would say that, uh, to just add that, um, find people who are living the life that you want and ask them, you know, like the, the finance independence community is just, it's been growing, uh, by like as a movement by leaps and bounds. And the great thing about this community, like, even if you don't go to our blog, go to yours, go to money mustaches, go to Jim Collins, because we're all trying to help people do it themselves. There's no, um, like we're all trying to shake up the system in some ways, like just disrupt what it means to be a to be uh, to be working and what it means to be like a middle class kind of guy. And I feel I, we're feeling that this is the movement is starting to become more and more. It's it's not mainstream yet, but it is gaining momentum, right? When we were, when we were first starting out, when this whole thing was first starting out, it was like Money Mustache and like Jim Collins, and they were seen widely as you know freaks and weirdos and like okay, these people did this strange kind of stuff. And then you came along and uh, Go Curry Cracker came along and then Justin from Root of Good came along and then we're coming along. And like it's starting to feel like people are it's becoming harder and harder to dismiss us as, uh, as, as a real thing. Like it's, it's hard to attack and say, and these aren't real. So so I would say read these blogs and learn from these guys because everybody wants to everybody wants to help people. Everyone wants to teach the stuff that they learn because we're not trying to keep and hoard this knowledge for ourselves. We want it to get out there as much as possible. So take advantage of that, right? 
Nice. Yeah, no, I completely agree. So I, and I highly recommend people check out your site. So how can people find you? Uh, so go to www.millennial-revolution.com and we post there three times a week. That's insane. How do you do that? I can barely post once a month and it's like stressing me out. So how, how is that <laughs> well, possible? Are, you guys are yeah. natural well, are writers. Us, so it does, yeah, having two of us does help. There are two of yeah. us and we are, uh, we are fiction writers. So we're used to kind of... We're, we're used to kind of writing more on we're, used to, we're used to writing yeah. on it like every single day. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah, I need to I need to get into a better habit because it's... Yeah, there's uh, that... I can't even imagine. How about emails? Is that, can people email you from there or just leave comments on your posts? Is that the best way to get in touch if they want to just say hello? Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's our email is in our contact us form and as well as just on our comments. Uh, we, we try to answer every single one. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much. This has been great. I uh, really enjoyed talking to you and hopefully I'll see you somewhere in the world, maybe Southeast Asia in December, which uh, would be really cool. Have a great time and thanks again. I really appreciate it. Thank All you. Right. All right. Take bye. Take care. Bye,